This is 20 by 20, a podcast from Newcastle University's School of Architecture, Planning and Landscape, where we ask leading architects, urbanists, designers and thinkers to reflect on the ideas, inspirations and interests that shape their practice and their views on the present and future of architecture and cities. It's 20 questions in 20 minutes with me, Owen Hopkins. Who you are, where you're speaking from, and what you do. I am Pooja Agrawal. I am speaking from London. And what do I do? That's a hard one, isn't it? So I, at the moment, am running a social enterprise called Public Practice. And we attract and place people from the built environment, including architects, into the public sector because we believe that that's where you can make the most impact. And our mission is to improve the quality, quality and sustainability of places. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. How do you get to role and what, what led you more broadly into planning? Good question. So it's one of those things when you can look back at your journey and it, it always feels more linear than it was. So if I was to think back, I studied architecture at university and I ended up actually doing all of the parts the one two and three so after my first part the part one I I guess I was always interested in 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 cities and places beyond buildings I actually grew up in Mumbai in India and I moved to the UK when I was 16 and maybe there was something there about quite a dark transition of culture that made me quite acutely aware of how people live in in cities in a way that London is very almost very quiet for me given the hyper urbanism I grew up in so yeah so I guess I was always interested in that kind of bigger scale of things and but also I was sort of never quite sure that I was an architect, a kind of capital A. So through through my career, I suppose, even between part one and part two, I just tried to work in very different types of practices. So I actually worked for an interior designer called Ilsa Crawford for, for, a, for a little while. I moved to New York for a little bit and worked for an architecture practice there as an intern back in the day when that was a thing. And then started working at Publica which is an urban design practice and did a lot of public realm strategy and started to work more and more with public sector clients then. I then went back and did my part two. And again, I was always trying to push that boundary of, you know, how do we actually impact larger scale places rather than just the building? And often struggled. I think when I was studying, even part two was just probably a decade ago, It was really hard to make a case for looking at a broader context and looking at that kind of city scale. Anyway, after my part two, I then ended up working at We Made That for a number of years. And that's when I qualified as as an architect. But most of the clients there were public sector clients. And I guess that was the first time when I got a really interesting insight into the public sector and how they work. So a lot of our clients were the GLA, which is the Greater London Authority. Uh, but also local authorities. I was working really closely with Walton Forest. And I guess that was the first time I started to think, hold on, there's a really interesting opportunity here. There's people who are working in these places who do have an urban design background and are able to actually 
shape places in a very different way. There's an opportunity for power and influence in a way that perhaps I felt quite restricted as an architect. So that my first step into the public sector was working in the Greater London Authority. And I was there for about four and a half or five years, including maternity leave. And over that time, I had a range of different responsibilities. So I was overseeing some actually delivery of projects and delivery of work. And being a client to architects is really interesting because you're able to push them and think about opportunities and think about different spatial opportunities and organisation of places. But you were also able to zoom out a little bit and think at a much more strategic scale of, you know, where should we be investing money, which types of projects should we be investing money in. At that time, there was a whole opportunity for affordable workspaces. What's the future of offices? That was, you know, a conversation that was happening quite a long time ago. And now something like co-working is such a given. But it's interesting to think that the public sector was actually really interested in that and leading opportunities and finding those opportunities quite a long time ago. High streets is something we worked on quite a lot as well. And again, given post-COVID where we are with redefining what town centres and high streets can be, suddenly I was just being able to use my background in architecture and design in a much more strategic and systematic way. I briefly joined Homes England, where I was trying to think, like, understand different types of government and the different opportunities and points of influence there was. But um, I then had this opportunity of becoming CEO of Public Practice, an organisation that I had co-founded about five years ago, and it was an opportunity too good to resist. So I've taken that role on, and it's, it's been about eight or nine months now, and that's where I've got to at the moment. I do probably too many things I've got lots of little side projects or side hustles as they call it these days well I'll ask about some of that um shortly but I want I had a few more questions about um about public practice and and planning more broadly you mentioned you co-founded it could you talk a little bit about how it arose and what the sort of particular problem you identified that it was sort of conceived to to help solve and I also wanted to ask how you measure success <laughs> of what you do. And it's one of these like terrible questions in, in a sense, because, you know, success is, is manifest in so many different ways. But, but I guess it's a sort of a question about the, the difference that public practice is already making. To start with what was a problem that we identified, being at the GLA, we were working very closely with lots of different local authorities. And quite quickly realised that there were just some local authorities who just had more people and people with the right skills were able to be a bit more ambitious and push projects through and at the GLA one of our roles is we would give money to an authority and they would sort of deliver it so certain places were just really really well equipped and were pushing boundaries and trying and testing really new things and new opportunities but there were other places we were working with where they just were so stretched in terms of their resources. So digging deeper into that, I started to realise that actually local authorities are really struggling in terms of the capacity and, and struggling to actually attract the right people. Just this month, we did a survey for local authorities across the country and funding and austerities obviously one of the things that we know anecdotally that's massively impacted the public sector and we know that funding is a huge issue and the shrinking of of local authority planning teams or any team that impacts places but 
interestingly, even the survey has told us that the biggest barrier local authorities are facing is actually attracting the right people. So 79% of people said that, while 51% of people talked about the funding being the biggest barrier. So there's clearly something here beyond funding that goes to local authorities struggling to find those right people with those right skills. If you flip it to the other side, in terms of my own background of working as an architect in the private sector, a decade ago when I was at university, or even more than that, think about part one, there was never an idea of what the opportunity of working in the public sector. You asked me about success in public practice. If I go back and ask myself as a young architect or young student what success looked like, Puja Agwal Architects is what success would have looked like. And there was never, that is what, you know, that was defined as success. You'd be starting your own practice and, and, and building buildings. So one of the things I realised was there was a huge issue here around perception of both working in the public sector, but also working in, I guess, planning, or now we use the word placemaking or place shaping, whatever you want to use in terms of those terms. So how do we communicate to people the actual massive impact you can have by working in the public sector, those opportunities you have with the background of architecture or planning or geography, or increasingly we work with people who are engineers and developers, and but the impact you can make by working in the public sector. So there was a twofold, there was a kind of gap there, both from the authorities' point of view, but also from the from our sector, from people not thinking about working in the public sector. So we were just able to bridge that gap, basically. We were able to understand particularly the types of skills that local authorities were really struggling to attract, but also that kind of culture piece about how local authorities work, how can we push people working beyond silos and work in a much more collaborative and proactive way. And with the other side is like, how do we attract people and advocate for working in the public sector and push that message that the impact you can have on communities and people is massive. So I guess that was a very particular problem and quite a niche. It's quite a niche actually what we do as an organization. In terms of measuring success, I think it's a really good question. So we've been operating in what we say the Southeast. So in London, um, the southeast and the east and east of England for the last four and a half years. When we first started, it was quite focused on design skills and quite focused on London. And in the last yeah, four and a half years, we've been able to broaden that geography within these three regions. And we've placed over 200 people across 50 different authorities. From our first four cohorts, over 90% of people have stayed in the public sector. And we see that as a massive impact and a massive success that we're fundamentally building that capacity of the public sector. We do one-year placements and we create a cohort of people. So we create a community of say 20, 25 people that start at the same time and go through this journey across the year and they come together every other Friday and we have a course and a learning and development program. So we just are able to help people transition into the public sector. And after that one year, people are like, oh, this is amazing. I'm doing such interesting work. I want to stay. And that's the, the, an element of success. What's harder to measure, I think, is in terms of us public practice, taking ownership of the impact is what each of these people whom we call associates actually do on the ground. And we can communicate that qualitatively and share stories and share that practice and create opportunities for that learning to happen across each other. 
but that's a, almost another level of impact that we're having is obviously on the places that all these people work in. Very, very excitingly, we've just received money funding from Homes England, supported by the Department of Leveling Up and Housing Communities, it doesn't roll off the tongue, uh, popularly known as DLUC, welcome to my world of, um, yeah, loads of acronyms. <laughs> But they have seen the impact we've been able to have in the southeast, and we were given funding to be able to expand our services. And we're really excited to say that we are going to be able to offer this support to local authorities in the north. So the northwest, the northeast and Yorkshire and Humber and by October place a cohort starting in, in place. Gosh, it's really soon. So that is like our first step to expanding our impact, because what we're doing is really impacting places. And the more places we're able to touch, the more impact we're going to be able to have. And will working in the north of England change your approach in any way? Because obviously development in London is profoundly different to how it proceeds in uh, the north of England for the most part. So how will you adapt to to that I mean I, I guess the the principle of what you do will remain very much the same but the detail will need to be adapted in some in some form or other to the to be particular to the the context and the local authorities in those areas absolutely I mean we really very much respect that different places have different cultures but even if you were to take one of those three regions in the north even the northwest has its own subcultures and you know local demands and local needs so what we're doing in this is our first pilot and it will help us basically understand how we might have to adapt but we can only try and adapt from there so but we have been talking to loads of different local authorities already to different officers understanding some of the barriers they're facing Ultimately, lots of places are just trying to do the best they can with the limited resources they have. Obviously, with the levelling up agenda, there is funding. Like the Northwest received, you know, one of the highest amounts of funding to deliver on the ground. We know that they're really struggling to be able to do that because they just don't have the people, those skills in-house to be able to deliver that. So we will be talking to each of these places, understanding what particular skills they're looking for and be able to try and, and, you know, yeah, match and attract those people in the best possible way. The, there's definitely a kind of question around geography, the cohort of people that come together, they have in-person days and how we support people to travel and come together. You know, these are all the things that we're going to have to learn and adapt. But ultimately, I think people just want to learn and, and try, you know, to shape places. And it's the associates who are embedded in these places who are making the difference. And they will learn from being there. And I'm not, I'm not expecting to be like putting people from London to work in the Northeast. No, it's about attracting those opportunities for people who've been working or lived there. I, I know anecdotally, there's loads of people who I studied with who have moved from you know Manchester or Liverpool and and so forth and would love to go back to the the places they they grew up in and actually impact those places but felt like they didn't necessarily have those opportunities so I'm hoping that we can build those opportunities for you know people listening to this is like how can you give back to the communities where you grew up well it's incredibly exciting so I can't can't wait to to see see what happens uh, from it and as you say it's in many instances the money is is there and now available and it's a question of matching up the right skills 
with with the local authorities who are crying out for that so uh, yes good good luck <laughs> really thank you incredibly exciting uh, you mentioned some of your side hustles as you described them earlier on and I wanted to ask a few questions about those because uh, alongside your uh, imagine incredibly busy full-time job you also co-host uh, Sound Advice which explores spatial inequalities through music with Joseph Henry and I wanted to ask kind of very simply how did that come about and why through music? So sound advice is it was a it was an, it was like a love project I suppose just and, and responded to a very particular I guess a feeling that Joseph and I were sharing when we worked at the GLA together just I suppose worth saying that I have massively stepped back from sound advice since over the last six or seven months so Joseph has been pushing and pioneering sound advice so I don't want to take any uh, fake credit for what what the platform has become especially the last yeah six or seven months but when I don't think we ever set it up with the the intention of setting it up the first thing we did was we were asked by new architectural writers as part of the after party zine to do a piece about diversity and you know bear in mind Joseph and I get asked well used to well still but got asked to talk about diversity all the time and actually found it really boring but within the GLA as well I suppose we became really good friends because so often we would just experience what people called sort of minor or microaggressions and we would just whatsapp and text each other and would find it quite we, we always took a kind of funny or humorous spin um, around around something that we experienced so for example there was another uh, incredible actually Asian uh, female colleague I had at the GLA and over the three or four years we had a little tally I think it was about nine times that people had mistaken us as each other and bear in mind she has really really long hair she is quite a bit taller than me like we literally just do not look like each other but we sort of spun that as almost like a funny thing that as a way of dealing with it so I think yeah that kind of friendship developed with Joseph and it also developed very much around our love for music and um, would often be sharing or oh, have you heard this or you know this new album has come out it's really amazing to be fair most of the time it was Joseph Joseph is way more on the pulse than I am but you know it was it was a nice two-way thing so yeah when we were first asked to do this particular piece about diversity we just respond we just like how can we make this more interesting how can we move this from a very academic discussion to a very like make it much more provocative and so we came up with these 10 tips and then decided to link it to music. So each tip we came up with, we came up with a song that somehow related to it. And that's basically how it emerged and over time, over the last, you know, gosh, I don't even remember, it's like a year and a half, two years. We've done a whole range of things from what we called visual podcasts. I think over lockdown as well, there was an opportunity to test different forms of media. And so we used music videos as a different form of culture to explore spatial conversation and try and use pop culture I suppose to, to, to talk about architecture in what could be seen as an unacademic way but we were trying to broaden those parameters of which I suppose architecture is talked about. I guess then George Floyd, Black Lives Matter and there was a whole moment when 
we knew so many of our colleagues were just really, really shaken and really didn't quite know how to process things. And we saw loads of architectural practices posting the black square. And Joseph and I just felt like there was something we could do here to collect. We, we were basically getting loads of people texting us, but texting the community as well. And that's where we thought we should be able to hold all of this in, in a place. And we decided to publish what became now a book called Now You Know. And it, it, it's a collection of over 50 people communicating a response to how things can change, trying to look forward, but doing it in quite a sound advice way of coming up with a tip and, and connecting it to a song. Sort of did it ourselves. We did it. I was actually, I think at this point I was on maternity leave, but we crowdfunded it. We just decided to publish it ourselves. And um, Joseph has done like remarkable amounts of work around posting each of these books so the first tranche we posted together and then since then he just he's become really good mates with the postman um around the corner but we sold about 1700 copies which is quite quite something unexpected I suppose but it definitely spoke to people and perhaps when we first did it we thought the audience were people in power the, the you know the so-called um, gatekeepers but we very quickly realised that it's actually the community, especially young people, that it really, really has inspired or supported or created a bit of a community for. And, yeah, so we're really happy that it's formed, a, 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 I think, a comforting friend someone described the book to me. And I think that's a really nice way of thinking about it. Well, it is an incredible uh, achievement and I think is essential reading, reading for anyone connected to the built environment or, or more broadly. And you and Joseph, I think, commented somewhere that talking about how your maternity leave, he was working full time, were able to, to do this project when large, well-funded institutions um, in the same time, have have done very little. <laughs> no, absolutely, and like it's it sort of stressful. I was still, I was actually the book I did, yeah, when I was at Homes England actually. So I used, I for a day a week would just, or half a day a week was just sort of doing this and doing it in the evenings and and so forth. And it just felt like a really important thing to do. And I guess around editing, we we didn't really edit it. We were a little bit, but not really. We had a a, a friend. Um, who checked for grammar and spellings and consistency. But we decided not to take a, a hard pen and actually edit any of the pieces. And that was also a decision we made when we decided to, cope, to, to publish it ourselves, because when we were talking to publishing houses, a few were genuinely interested, but A, we realised it was going to take two years to publish it if we went with any of them, but also they would have taken a much harder pen like control in terms of what was being said and the whole point of this was just to show the diversity of voices and opinions and people disagreeing with each other and we thought that was really strong and you know we went around circles like how do we organize it should we try and theme it should we and actually what we ended up doing was broadly put it in order in terms of when we received it so you can see a slight shift of tone as well from a very immediate response to the black square to it being um maybe a two months later potentially and it taking quite different formats where Shumi and Manijay for example academics talking having a conversation 
versus it someone writing a poem for us. And I, I think the richness of the texture makes it a really special thing. And the design, which you touched on, we worked with the graphic designer, Joe, who very much worked on our brand. And I think it's it's just, we said, like the brief was basically the opposite of a black square and like a book that would not look like an architecture book. So not a kind of black and white graphic designed, you know, the, the obvious aesthetic of what architecture books look like, but something that is the extreme opposite. And I think it has therefore captured other audiences perhaps than maybe just the architecture world. So more of the broader cultural and the arts world perhaps have seen an interest in it. And I'm really pleased that Joseph has been able to pick up that opportunity and broaden what Sound Advice is doing now. And obviously he's curating, part of the team that's curating the Venice Finale now. So I'm really excited to see what they do with that. So we draw things to a close, but I just I sort of wanted to pull several several strands together, but just to ask, you know, are you are you optimistic <laughs> about the the potential for positive meaningful change and you know ultimately all of your work it seems is is about creating a more sort of equitable built environment you know what 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 does that look like <laughs> what, does that, what does that what does that look like for the, oh. for the profession the people creating it and but also for the you know the, the people inhabiting it I I am going through huge waves it's <laughs> like am I optimistic to being very pessimistic to being very optimistic but I guess I am a doer like I I if something upsets me I want to fix it and I want to solve it and even like the book right it, it, it happened really quickly with public practice you know in the last few months we've been able to get us funding and we're going you know we're growing to the north and I, I just like want to constantly <laughs> fix things so that's what keeps me optimistic I suppose is just thinking about how I can keep going and try to fix things I think you can to create a more equitable society I suppose that is definitely been the thread that drives me there's so many different ways to make that change so I see public practice that looking at a very systemic approach of changing the yeah the very fundamental structure in a much more medium to long-term way even though the every day it feels very immediate but it's taking a much more longer-term view of how do we enable those people who have the money or the power and influence the politics behind them to really serve the communities that they should represent and have that optimism that the public sector is very well placed to either be a facilitator or a driver or a convener. And, and that's a kind of longer term approach. In, in something like sound advice fault, at the time, much more provocative, much more immediate, trying to make change by making people feel uncomfortable and asking individuals what their role and responsibility was in society. So I, I think you can do activism in lots of different ways. And hopefully there, there's something there about, yeah, you've got to hope otherwise. You, or, or you just need to try. I think for me, it's just about, yeah, like I said, doing things. I think maybe the other thing I was reflecting on this week, maybe that there's a common thread here is, is people and relationships and sound advice has been able to create a very strong community of people that support each other and then public practice is all about people and relationships we're bringing people in to work in teams and work with other people in the private sector or with you know other architects or and so much of this is like 
being empathetic and understanding where different people come from and how collectively you can try and understand that and make change together so there's something here about people and relationships that I feel like can be explored more to make change. Pooja Agarwal, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to 20 by 20, a podcast from Newcastle University's School of Architecture, Planning and Landscape. Stay tuned for more episodes, write a review or give us a rating and be sure to follow us on your preferred podcast platform.